Intelligence Committee calls many United States intelligence operations misleading, ineffective, and self-defeating. Federal Appeals Court orders New York City to quickly impose tolls on the free city bridges. Nursing home employees free to strike tomorrow morning. This is Lester Smith reporting. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR Radio 710, the talk of New York. And now, let's join Gene Shepard. Any home you hear on uh, tonight's signal is uh, jamming by jealous stations. All right, uh, it's time once again to give a salute to contemporary culture.
ease, at ease. <laughs> yeah, always want them. Uh, you, you always got to leave them wanting more. Hello, Tess Wade. I've got to fix this thing up here. It's just giving me more trouble here. Hey, hello, Tess. Hello there. Yeah. Let me hear. I'll plug this plug in. There, I'll plug this in now. Get everything adjusted here. I don't know where that home is coming from. It's all right. It's not your fault, Lee. It's okay. You do invent 120, 60 cycles. It's okay. All right, for the U.S. of A. Oh, uh, the reason that I uh, picked uh, tonight, after all, it's the beginning of the week. And uh, you can always be serious at the beginning of a week, can't you? Of course. And it's, uh, as, the, as the week gets on and things get sillier and sillier and, uh, you know, events pile up during the week, you can then uh, give in to your Harpo Marx tendency and start blowing horns and flapping your lips and yelling and hitting guys with the pig bladders and stuff like that. You know, it's in a t- <laughs> well, sure you can. And uh, this is an old, uh, an old axiom in the comedy. You can start out low-key, see, and by the end, you know, you're squirting the audience with seltzer water. And uh, you leave in a cloud of confetti and uh, accriminations. Before we go any further, accriminations? What's that? You don't like that, huh? Well, James Joyce got famous inventing words. How, you know, what's the matter with me there? However, uh, getting back to uh, what I was about to say, uh, you know, there's a, there's a current, always there's a belief, I guess it goes all the time with man, and that is that he's living in times that are finally enlightened. Uh, you know, that, that man has... Fun. Yeah, oh yeah, it was a common belief that, that at any time, uh, the people of the past were abysmally ignorant. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of chuckle about them, the dumb things they knew uh, and thought. And, uh, but we've arrived at the age of enlightenment. In fact, they even, uh, you know, there are some guys that believe this so much. Did you know that, uh, that I heard recently on an interview, this guy says, well, of course, uh, we are living in the age of total awareness. <sighs> what a crock of banana oil that is. <laughs> you know, uh, that's that's like the sublime. Uh, and of course, he was implying that he was one of the leaders of the awareness crowd, totally aware of the world. And uh, somebody somebody sent me uh, a textbook. Now you know, yes, uh, I I, uh, I from time to time when I go down to old bookstores like down on Fourth Avenue, you sell these old books and used books and stuff. You can buy old textbooks. Now, most people don't buy old textbooks. They buy uh, other things, uh, you know, like old copies of Hemingway. But I buy old textbooks. And I have, uh, for example, I have an 1872, no, an 1868 geography book. And that's a fantastic textbook. Now, I'm going to, now hold on a minute. For all of you who believe that your textbooks are dispensing truth, I would like to read right now here, I have an 1850 textbook. This is the real thing. This is not a reprint. It's, a, it's an 1850 textbook called A Guide to the Scientific Knowledge of Things Familiar. Hey, that's a great, uh, that's a great uh, title. And it's by the Reverend Dr. Brewer of Trinity Hall, Cambridge. Now, that's about as official a university you can get. Cambridge, right? And, of course, back in this period in 1850, uh, the, the, uh, the reverends of the period occupy the same place that in today's life doctors occupy. You know, an MD 
today used to be scientists, you know, but a doctor today occupies a very special place. So uh, if a doctor is asked about sex, now he may be a eunuch himself, he may know nothing at all about sex, but he's considered a very, he's an expert on it, he's a doctor. Doctors are experts on politics. This is called the Dr. Spock syndrome. Uh, a doctor is an expert on universal things in our time. Now, uh, in, in 1850, it was the reverend. The reverend was the universal expert on uh, anything. So he, uh, he, this is the Reverend Dr. Brewer of Trinity Hall, Cambridge. Now, that's very official. And uh, I, I read the uh, title of the book here even further. It says, uh, he is the Lord Master of King's College School, Norwich. Now, that's pretty official. He's the uh, Lord Master and uh, there's a lot of uh, Latin quotations. Whenever you want to really give the people what they want, preface what you're about to say with a Latin quotation. And there's no argument about that. Now, the book uh, was published in New York in 1850 by James Miller uh, of uh, 647 Broadway. I wonder what's at 647 Broadway now. A little place where they sell used buttons, probably. But uh, nevertheless, in those days, it was a really top uh, flight publishing house. They published books, you know, that came out under the Cambridge University imprint. Now, here are some of the, the uh, statements he makes. And uh, he does not say, it is my opinion. This is uh, stated as fact, just as so many things in your textbooks are stated as fact. <laughs> All right, here, for example, question. This book, by the way, is in the question and answer form. All the way through, it's questions and answers. The scientific answer and the question about it, for example, today you would say, what is an IC? Or what is a transistor? Well, he would then answer. All right, here's what the question is. Why does lightning turn milk sour? This, incidentally, is under the general heading of the electrical phenomena. Now, you smile, see? Look at that smile. Now, I might also add, <laughs> no, we smile at the, at the naive ignorance of the past, and yet... There are many people listening right now who believe seriously that lightning does uh, cause milk to sour. They also believe in Gene Dixon and astrology. So uh, let's not <laughs> let's not uh, let's not smile at the uh, at the uh, you know the the confusion of the past. You want to hear his answer to that? All right. Why does lightning turn milk sour? There's no question that it does. You see, you know, it's it's a positive question. He answers: Lightning causes the gases of the air through which it passes to combine and thus produces a poison called nitric acid some small portion of which mixes with the milk and thus turns it sour well now that that sounds very very scientific see I mean, nitric acid but well actually uh, <laughs> now there's there's argument going on <laughs> all right you want to hear some more okay uh, I'll give you uh, some other questions that uh, might... Uh, okay. All right. Uh, okay. Does oxygen and nitrogen combine, uh, if only mixed together, in common atmospheric air? Quote, they only mix together, as grains of sand would do, when shaken in a bottle. The oxygen and nitrogen combine. They do not constitute air, but acid poisons. Oh, here's a good one for you. Now, 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 this may have not uh, occurred to you. Question. Why does lightning turn beer sour, although it is contained in a closed cask? 
because if beer be new and the process of fermentation incomplete, lightning will so accelerate the process as to turn the sugar into acetic acid at once without passing through the intermediate state of alcohol. Now remember, this man is a scientist of his day. He's not just a, a reverend. He's a scientist, you know. You must understand. Uh, why is not old beer and strong porter made sour by lightning? Well, it's obvious because the fermentation is more complete and therefore is less affected by electrical influence. Uh, <laughs> why does lightning purify the air? Well, now, you know what, what this question is based on. That's based on the idea that when lightning does pass, uh, is discharged. It doesn't really pass through the air. It's discharged. When lightning is discharged, there is a byproduct of this called ozone, O3, right? Okay. And you smell this, and this is a, it's purify the air, see? But here's what his, he says. He says, why does lightning purify the air? For two reasons. First, because the electric fluid... Remember, they considered electricity in those days an actual fluid. It was considered like uh, like we consider water a, 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 a an element that uh, you know it's a it's a it's a it's an entity. Electricity was called a fluid in those days. It was just like uh, you know like uh, stones and so on. Electricity was always in something, but to bring it out, it took certain things. You see, to, to happen. Anyway, uh, why does lightning purify the air? Well, for two reasons. First, because the electric fluid produces nitric acid in its passage through the air. Okay. Uh, second, because the agitation of the storm stirs up the air. That's why it... Uh, yes, this is WOR New York. Okay. Now, do you want to hear another one? Uh, <laughs> how does the production... Uh, of nitric acid purify. Well, now you don't want to get in. You want to get in some other things here. Now you've you've heard this. Uh, uh, you know about electricity. Now here uh, we can go to. Uh, uh, let's see. How about uh, how about friction? Now, would you like to know what he says about friction? Okay. What is meant by friction? Well, it's the act of rubbing two things together. Well, that's pretty logical. That's very, very right on. As now, here's where he gets interesting. Only in the in the fifties, eighteen fifties, would he give this kind of an illustration. Uh, answer is the act of rubbing two things together, as the Indians rub two pieces of wood together to produce a fire. He didn't. You know, the Indians were around in eighteen fifty. In fact, this was some twenty five years before Mister. Uh, uh, or General Custer's debacle. Uh, well, it was about 30 years before he really got it. Uh, he says, uh, how do the Indians produce fire by merely rubbing two pieces of dry wood together? Well, they take a piece of dry wood sharpened to a point which they rub quickly up and down a flat piece until a groove is made and the dust collected in this groove catches fire. Well, why does the wood catch fire? It's a good question. He says, well, because... Latent heat is developed from the wood by friction. Now we're getting there. He says the best woods for this purpose are boxwood. So try that. I didn't know that, but the boxwood works better than any other kind of wood. He says, uh, uh, do not carriage wheels sometimes catch fire? I didn't know that. That would be a great bit in a John Wayne movie, the carriage wheels catching fire. He says, yes, quite frequently. 
when the wheels are dry or fit too tightly or revolve very rapidly. Well, that would be a beautiful bit of Western, you know, whose wheels catch fire. See, uh, he says, why do the wheels catch fire in such cases? Well, because the axle tree disturbs the latent heat and produces ignition. Now, I have a reason for telling you all this because, you see, remember, we're not, I'm not making fun of the past because this is, you know, this was the knowledge of the day, and these were intelligent people. And, uh, you know, all the way on through, you can just read practically every question here is, uh, is got, got uh, you know, curious misinformation involved in it. But uh, was it right, or, is, or, or have we replaced a lot of this with other misinformation? <laughs> now that's a good question. See, uh, we don't want to, you know, bring that up because that could be because he's got some great stuff in here about uh, decaying vegetables. See, uh, because he believes that decaying of a vegetable. He says, why does a vegetable decay? Decay. Says because time produ- time releases the noxious gases that are contained by all vegetables. They didn't understand the uh, what we call it. You know the the decaying process and so on. It, they, they believed that it was a noxious gas that was in every peach, for example, and that if you left it sit a while, the noxious gas would start coming out and therefore produce decay. So, uh, you know, little things like that, you go right, right down the line. Uh, there's, a great, there's a great piece in here uh, on teeth, for example. Uh, what causes the decay of teeth? Hmm. Well, there are certain materials in foods, he says. Uh, the, the dentine is full of little tubes filled with lime. And uh, there are certain things in, the, in foods, certain noxious gases, which react with the lime and form various acids. You see, so, well, he may be just, just about... Why does creosote cure toothache? Well, creosote acts as a caustic and burns away the mortified bone. We or ulcer upon it, which produced the pain. And when the mortified bone is gone, the pain will go. So, uh, you know, you could sit here by the hour. Incidentally, they have a, a, a little plug here in the back in 1850. It says, don't forget the children. There are many great children's books which we publish, including Little Rudy and Other Tales by Hans Christian Andersen, who at that time was a contemporary dynamic writer. The Mud King's Daughter and Other Tales by Hans Christian Andersen. The Life and Adventures of Robinson Crusoe, which was a, it's a new edition. So, uh, you know, things, <laughs> not much has changed since 1850. Uh, there's always a commercial, by the way, there's a commercial at the end of the book, so in 1850 they believed in commercials too, which reminds me. Get ready for a great night out at Yonkers Raceway. Yeah, Yonkers. Let's see. Let's get to this here. Yonkers, yes. Tomorrow night is fan appreciation night at Yonkers. Free grandstand admission. That's right. You get in free. Free grandstand admission. Post time is 8 p.m., so come on out to Yonkers Raceway. 
My name's Tony. My name's Barbara. I'm going to London this summer for one week. So am I. I'm going with my wife. I'm going with a friend. I'm flying on a scheduled airline and I'm paying economy fare. I'm flying Pan American Airlines with an Etsia charter package. What's Etsia? European travel service in America. They're travel experts in the charter field. I'm paying $1,612 for my wife and me. I'm paying $798 for my friend and me. I have to pay extra for hotel, transfers, taxes, and meals. I have to pay extra for lunches and dinners, but I get the new Tower Hotel, transfers, taxes, and American breakfast. You mean you get round-trip air on Pan American 747s, the Tower Hotel, transfers, taxes, and breakfast for less than half of what we're paying just for the airfare? Yep. I feel like a dummy. For information and reservations, call toll-free 800-243-4754. That's 800-243-4754. In Connecticut, call 453-6531. Or write Etsia at 576 Fifth Avenue, New York. Or call your travel agent. Welcome to Kava Close-Up. Tonight, Professor Cosmos will discuss his new book, Common Kava Myths. Uh, Professor, what are these myths about Kava Instant Coffee? Well, first off, Kava does not come from board. Oh, who does bring us Kava? Little green men from the planet Kavatron. It's no myth. Kava is the coffee star from Borden. Kava is rich, smooth, never bitter. Because Kava is the only coffee that's 90% acid neutralized. Why 90%? I'll tell you why. The planet Kavatron is 90 light years from Earth. This is so silly. There's nothing silly about the taste of Kava. Have a cup of Kava. What a cup of coffee. Kava comes in four ounce and eight ounce jars and... Little green men come in four hours to lay down sizes. Tune in again when we're all brought to you by Kava, the great smooth tasting instant coffee with the really ugly label. Kava, it really is from Borton. Pow, 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 pow. Uh, let's see, how much can you get for $5 today, huh? Well, let's see, you can put it on, uh, on Honest Pleasure. Probably get back uh, $5.03. Uh, <laughs> you can't get much for five bucks, right? But in the 1940s, you could, according to this copy. Well, the the real the real fallacy in this copy is, of course, in the 1940s, it was not easy for a guy to have five bucks. Well, uh, anyway, the Long Island Press is recapturing the 40s. Listen to this: for only five dollars, you can advertise your car for three days in the classified section of the Long Island Press. Why don't you take out an ad about your car, Tony? You know, it says, I got a great car. I just want to say, thank God for my Buick. It's wonderful. And just leave it there, you know, a little. <laughs> or, or uh, I got a lemon. I want to warn all you guys. Well, uh, anyway, just $5 for three days. It's fun. That's some big buy in today's uh, troubled economy, right? And furthermore, you reach the widest coverage of any Long Island newspaper over a million people. So quick, get a pencil, call the Long Island Press, bring back the old days when a dollar was a dollar. Write an ad. There's one country where you could have a different cheese every day of the year and a different wine along with it. Ah, the French. When they do something... They do it with flair. And Air France, definitely French, shows its flair by offering the car lease holiday that flies you to Paris and gives you a car for three weeks, unlimited mileage, full insurance, for the astoundingly low price of $569 per person, double occupancy. With this 22 to 45 day holiday and the car, you can take off on your own to discover the cheeses, the wines, the chateau, the cuisine, 
Ah, mon ami, to give you a car for three weeks and airfare for $569 for less than the regular airfare to Paris. Ah, that's flair. For information and any tour restrictions, speak to your travel agent or call Air France. When Air France does something, they do it with flair. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the address of the White House. And now, the name of a sweeping new Broadway musical. Direct from standing room only sellout engagements in Philadelphia and Washington, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue triumphantly enters New York. It combines the legendary talents of Ellen J. Lerner, who gave us Gigi and My Fair Lady, and Leonard Bernstein, who gave us Candide and West Side Story. Now, together, they give us 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue at the Mark Hellinger Theater. Yeah, the uh, previews are now, and uh, it opens the 4th of May. Goody, goody, goody. Hey, if you're in your uh, middle years, uh, according to this copy, prepare now for a long, productive life, barring any Mack trucks or, you know, lightning bolts or uh, fistfights with your wife or getting shot in a bar. Yes, you can plan to live longer. That's the word from a noted physician, a past president of the American Medical Association, whose 10 easy rules for healthy living are outlined in a fascinating 37-page report. 10 rules, 37 pages. This report has already been sent to over 200,000 men and women requesting it by the world's most popular health magazine, Prevention. And the report is now available to poor old you without charge, just for sampling Prevention. Each month, over a million and a half subscribers depend on prevention for practical guidance towards a healthier, happier life. So, uh, try 12 monthly issues at only 585, and you get the free report. And uh, you don't even have to, if you don't like it, uh, you just, uh, uh, just after the first issue, just, you can cancel, and you can keep the report, and you can live forever anyway. So send no money now. Just phone 757-5650. And just simply say, I want to live forever. 757-5650. You can also say, if you're a little more literate, total immortality shall be mine. Just give them a call. 757-5650. Right. Or you can write prevention, care of WOR New York. Now, they'll know what you mean when you say prevention. They've been trying to prevent a lot of things around here for years. Will you hit the button, please? If you find starvation diets hard to swallow, pick up the May issue of Woman's Day for only 35 cents. We have a super easy diet planner that eliminates calorie counting and special foods. With our diet, you'll lose those extra pounds without losing out on tasty, balanced meals. For the budget conscious, May Woman's Day features a delicious selection of Pennywise main dishes. And for dessert, it's hard to beat our delectable, versatile sponge cake. You'll love the colorful variations you can make with this super light cake. It's light on your pocketbook, too. Woman's Day brings you the kinds of food ideas that you can use. That's part of what we call service journalism. Our editors test and retest every recipe to guarantee it meets our strict standards. That way you'll be proud to call our recipes your recipes. Service journalism is the core of every Woman's Day feature. Food, crafts, beauty, and more. Service journalism will work for you. See for yourself. Look for the gold cover with a strawberry sponge cake. The recipe's inside. May, Woman's Day. Quebec, Ontario vacation. So much to go for. So much, yes, so much to go for. Go 
over the friendly cities and gourmet restaurants, for museums, theaters, and a sparkling nightlife. Go for fun-filled festivals and traditional pageantry. For the clean, unspoiled outdoors. In Canada, experience two languages and two cultures side-by-side in English Ontario and French Quebec. To make the going easy, local travel agents and tour operators offer a very affordable range of motor coach tours. Travelways Tours offers an Ontario show tour by motor coach from Toronto to the Shakespearean Theatre at Stratford, the Shaw Festival at Niagara-on-the-Lake, and the Muskoka Summer Theatre. Six days, four shows for $255 per person, double occupancy, including some meals and applicable taxes. Price quoted in Canadian dollars and subject to change. Quebec, Ontario, this summer. Go for it. Yeah, that was a word from the Canadian government, Office of Tourism. And if uh, Canada doesn't do it to you. Thomas Travel Service, Miss Mannix speaking. This is Paul McHugh. How are you? Fine. Getting ready to go away again? Yes. And that's my problem. I don't know where to go this year. Well, what do you want to do? Well, you know me. I like to spend a few days unwinding, but I also like to sightsee and see something different. Mm, What about Italy? Italy? I've been there. uh, Twice, in fact. Then you've seen the most perfectly preserved Greek temples in all of Europe. That's Italy? And you've seen the finest collection of Byzantine mosaics anywhere in Europe. That's Italy? And you've stayed in a charming Alpine hotel at the foot of Mont Blanc. That's Italy? That's Italy. And a lot more. There's the Italians. I think they're the warmest, friendliest, and most helpful people to tourists in all of Europe. Start planning my itinerary right now. And be sure you include all those places I haven't seen before. Yes, uh, Chucky, you and Dickie will love Italy and those Byzantine mosaics. They're such darling things, you know. Uh, come to the Italy you've never seen before. Call the Italian government travel office at area code 212-245-4822. And join Chuck and Dickie. Uh, now, uh, let's see what we've got. Oh, we're through! One more? Okay, one more and one more and one more. Everyone knows that Mailgram has impact. But what can you do with Mailgram's impact? You can help pass a law. Frankly, I couldn't decide which side of the issue to back till I walked into my office and saw all those Mailgrams, so I... Or drum up support. Actually, Fred and I weren't going to vote, but election morning, up walks the postman with a Mailgram from the committee and we just... Or raise money. We had 500 pledges but no checks, so we sent them all mailgrams. And by the following day... Every day, thousands of people discover the impact of Western Union's mailgram because there are thousands of ways to use it. Mailgram messages are easy to send. Just call Western Union's toll-free number. Within seconds, your message is flashed electronically to a post office near your addressee for delivery in writing with the next business day's mail. We can also show you how to send mailgrams by computer to hundreds or thousands of people for less than a dollar each. Western Union's Mailgram. Impact of a telegram at a fraction of the cost. Okay, fine. That was exciting, wasn't it? Those little dramas, real-life dramas. Why don't you send the Mailgram to yourself and remind yourself that you're alive, huh? You know how excited you get when you get a telegram, right? Right, okay. Uh, you want to hear another question. For example, here's from that 1850 textbook, and uh, I'm going to uh, read a question to you and see if you can answer this. Now, uh, now listen carefully. Uh, can you answer this, Lee? Uh, this is a question uh, in the physiology department. Uh, we all have a, yeah, we all, we all have a physical body, 
and uh, you should know something about it. Okay, what is the cause of animal heat, the heat in the human body? Did you say vodka? Oh, girls, well, no, that's your animal heat. But what causes her? Oh, you, I see, ah, I see, I understand. All right, but the, what does cause you to be at the, the, the bodily temperature? What is your temperature? Nine, what is it? What is the official temperature? 103.7, 96.4, 94.6, or 98.4, or 98.6, or 96.8. Which is it? 98.6. Well, why are you at 98.6 when, let's say, the temperature around you is at 40 degrees, or we'll say 115? Where does that temperature come from? Well, here's the answer. You don't know? <laughs> In other words, you, you, you better not laugh at these guys. You're just as... All right, the answer is animal heat is produced by the combustion of hydrogen and carbon in the capillaries of the vessels, the capillary vessels. That means then that there's a little fire in there going on. There's a fire going on in you. There's this little fire, and it's combustion going. And uh, he, he, so the next question goes on there. It says, uh, well, uh, if animal heat is produced by combustion, well, why does not the human body burn up? That's a good question if you accept the idea that of like coal or, uh, or a candle. Answer, it actually does so. Every muscle, nerve, and organ of the body actually wastes away like a burning candle and being reduced to air and ashes, is rejected from the system as useless. This is getting interesting. Question then, if every bone, muscle, nerve, and organ is thus consumed by combustion, why is not the body entirely consumed? Aha! He says. Answer. It would be so, unless the parts destroyed were perpetually renewed. But as a lamp will not go out so long as it is supplied with fresh oil, neither will the body be consumed as long as it's supplied with fresh food. Huh. Fascinating. All right. So this is from an 1850 textbook. Now, you want to know about present-day uh, ignorance? Okay. Now, this is why I brought this up. Uh, here is a piece from the Philadelphia Evening Bulletin of a couple of weeks ago. This is Philly. And uh, this is not, uh, you know, some, uh, some uh, backwater in the nation or anything like that. And uh, the headline is, Prospective Jurors Ignorant of Meaning of Nazism. Now listen to this piece. You won't believe it, but it's actually true. In Milwaukee, now Milwaukee's a big town, right? It's not, uh, you know, it's not Rabbit Hash, Kentucky or anything like that. Milwaukee, some months ago, two members of the Milwaukee chapter of the Nazi Party uh, parentheses, the National Socialist White People's Party, smashed the windows of an auto while the owner, a Jewish person, sat inside. They were arrested and a short while ago went on trial. Everyone concerned with the trial thought that choosing a jury of 12 men and women who were not disgusted by the very term Nazi would be very difficult. In other words, you'd be predisposed to be against a guy who says he's a Nazi just because you know the words. See? Uh, so the lawyer for the two Nazis felt that it would be almost impossible to find a jury that was not prejudiced by the word itself. 
quote, I'm quoting him here, I thought people would associate the word Nazis with concentration camps and the killing of Jews, O'Neill said. I was very shocked. I was more than surprised. I was shocked. Uh, And remember, this is the defense attorney. O'Neill, his name is, was shocked because after questioning 23 randomly selected average citizens, all middle-aged and all alive during World War II, this is what he found. Virtually none of the prospective jurors knew anything at all about Nazism. Two, they did not associate Nazism with World War II. I don't make the news, friends. I'm just merely quoting what he found. They did not associate Nazism with Adolf Hitler. Okay? They did not associate Nazism with racial hatred or concentration camps or even the killing of six million Jews. Uh, so then they tried to find out, well, what did they associate it with? You know, they, you know, so they went back and they asked him. See, one of the reporters uh, on hand for the Milwaukee Journal, a big paper, by the way, so, uh, when he heard this, he went back and asked these people. Well, one woman said, uh, we quote here, oh, yes, uh, well, Nazism is a dictatorship, but I really can't say any more about it. I don't know. It's just some kind of a dictatorship. Okay, that was her answer. Uh, another woman asked, uh, what it was more of a Nazi? Well, I know Nazism means uh, Nazi means communist. <laughs> I like that. Listen to this one. Uh, here was a guy that was asked. He said, "Well, uh, yeah, I, I heard of Nazis, but I don't listen to the news that much." <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, all right. I don't listen to the news that much, which was kind of a great line, and. Uh, O'Neill, that's the defense attorney and the judge, Patrick Madden, were stunned. The judge says, all 23, he says, the word Nazi just doesn't mean anything to any of them. They don't know at all what it means. And uh, they discovered that the word Nazi and Nazism is virtually unknown to them. Oddly enough, and here's the odd thing, a Nazi had just run in a primary election for mayor of Milwaukee. In other words, the word Nazi was in the in the paper, see? The newspapers were full of stories about him. He lost the primary, but he got nearly 5,000 votes. Oh, ho. The man who brought the charges against the two Nazis was not at all surprised that the jury knew nothing about him. Uh, he said, because uh, they've, they've already found that a lot of the people uh, just don't know. And he says, uh, I consider, the the judge says, I consider the uh, ignorance about Nazism to be very serious. He says, it's frightening, those replies, very frightening. He says, I don't know who said it, but if you don't know history, you are doomed to repeat it. Now, if you think this is an exaggeration, let me tell you something now. There was a great line by George Ade, who, uh, in fact, wrote uh, as a moral to one of his fables back in 1895. He says, it is impossible to over estimate the ignorance of the average man. (laughs) Now, that sounds like you're putting people down, but it happens to be actually true. I don't think most people know much about uh, just what, you know, what's going on. Uh, They don't, they they have a general knowledge that they're alive. In fact, recently, do you know that they took a a nation, a national selected cross-section poll of, of kids in high school? And they discovered, uh, now these are high school students, 
you know, going to good high schools and bad high schools and just high schools. And by far the overwhelming majority of them, given a list of 15 presidents, could not recognize that these people had been president. So if you ask a kid, uh, what was Calvin Coolidge? You'd like to say to you, oh, wasn't he... Uh, wasn't he some kind of a distant runner in the past, some guy that won the Olympics or something in the old days? <laughs> and who was, yeah, wasn't he a pole vaulter? They had all kinds of crazy, uh, and these kids weren't being funny. Uh, that that, that uh, one of them, for example, uh, thought that Dwight Eisenhower, and uh, one of them, this was a whole, you know, among many other completely confusing remarks, that, uh, that Dwight Eisenhower was in the Civil War. And, uh, the idea that he had been president just never occurred to uh, any of them. At the, so it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's now I remember now I at first I thought, you know, if you're in if you're in media, you learn a lot of this stuff probably much quicker than people who are in education, you know, where you, to, you, you hand something out to a person and then you ask him whether he learned it later. But I remember one time, oh, this was uh, some time ago. Uh, when I was I was going to school, as a matter of fact, university, and the, there was a local uh, TV and radio station that had like "What Does the Average Man Know?" show, where I went out and I asked people not to, uh, you know, just what do they know. So the question that I asked them was, "All right, all of you know, uh, you've heard the term the Axis Powers. World War Two, there were two groups battling each other. They were called the the Allies and the Axis Powers." Do you know that I asked three people in a row, and of the three, not one of the three, and these were all people who were, say, like in their 40s, could tell me whether we were in the Axis or the Allies. Now, I'll tell you what one of the funniest ones. This woman, who, by the way, was an intelligent woman, she seemed to be very intelligent, she was there, she had, uh, uh, you know, looked very intelligent, talked very intelligent. I said, Madam, I said, okay, now... The Axis powers, we know, were headed by Germany. One of their partners was a country that had as its flag the rising sun. And another country that they had that was in it was, <laughs> was shaped like a boot. <laughs> I said, now... Can you tell me those two countries? It was a long pause, and she says, Oh, yes, yes, uh, the Philippines. It's a rising sun. I said, All right, madam. I just went right on. She says, All right, madam, you've got one clear of the question now. You've, uh, the Philippines have this flag as the rising sun. Now, what country was the last one that shaped like a boot? She says, Oh, a country shaped like a boot. I said, I'll give you a clue. They had a dictator named Il Duce. Oh, uh, Il Duce, uh, Il Duce, uh, uh, Il Duce. Uh, oh, I, I've got it. I said, yes. I figured, you know, at last we're getting the truth. She says, uh, uh, Japan. I says, you're correct. It's shaped like a booth. And they had a dictator named Il Duce, you know. And uh, she was very pleased. <laughs> and the crowd applauded. <laughs> no, 
know, she wasn't being funny. I'm telling you that 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 if you were to stop out of a out of a thousand people walking down the street and ask them what Martin Luther King was, what was he? What was he? Some I'm, I'm sure a, a significant per percentage would say, well, wasn't he some kind of a singer? Uh, and no, no, I'll tell you, he's a politician. And uh, what he actually was, what he said for just. They just know the name, you know. Do you know that 26% of the people that were questioned recently in uh, in Philadelphia did not know what significant event occurred in 1776? George Aid, you were ahead of your time. Watch Pearl Harbor. Well, she's on that hillbilly program, uh, 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 the Grand Ole Opry. This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation. WOR presents... In Conversation. A series of discussions meant to enlighten and involve you, the listener. Our host for today's program is the author and critic, Leonard Harris. The meeting of Jason Robards and Ben Bradley is the confluence of two rather well-known men. And they come together in the new movie, All the President's Men. Uh, I have Jason Robards here, the actor who plays Ben Bradley. Uh, Jason, first of all... Welcome. You and I have Thank done... Thank you, Leonard. I'm glad to see you again. Yeah, we and I have done a number of interviews, yes. uh, usually on what I suppose you would call uh, more artistic circumstances, Eugene O'Neill, uh, stuff yeah. like well, that. You remember when we were doing some plays before other plays, too, oh, and you sure. came over and did Sure, that. sure. Uh, but doing Ben Bradley, a man whom you know, I understand, and know rather so, well... Very slightly. Oh, no, you I know... 